Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Radamic. Berto is your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. You know, I had some pondering that I did at the wee hours of the morning last, this morning, I should say, two in the mornings or so when I was, um, before I head off to bed, you know, you go into those thinking, etc., etc., etc. And that was what I came up with the topic of the show. So anyhow, let's just go ahead and get with it. Before we get into the specific topic, we are going to go ahead and give you the videos that we always give you of pertinent information. Anyhow, let's go ahead. What is the show about? Hoy, de que vamos a hablar? Hoy, here we go. GOP cult, good people do evil because of abstraction. White supremacist funeral. So ask Anan Hired Haradas. So we're going to talk about those issues. And uh, I have the phones. Uh, you know, it would be nice if after we, when we start talking about the abstractions and how that makes good people do bad, do evil, even as they their conscience is clear because they don't quite see it. I would love, love, love uh, to hear that. Okay, uh, Bridge says, can you give us an update on Ashley before you begin? Ashley, uh, her left side is still not 100%, but my baby is fighting on. She continues to uh, fight on. She, uh, she's back in school. This, uh, you know, she, she went back to D.C. She's back in school. She had her vaccine. And, uh, you know, she's doing her therapy on her own until she gets an official therapy appointment where they will work on strengthening her left side. But like I said, um, the, she is a trooper. My baby is a trooper. And uh, she keeps pushing on. A lot of people expected her to sit out a year after um, she got the stroke out of uh, medical school and she wanted to continue. I mean, Four days out of there, you know, like I told you guys, she just had me running like a, you know, running behind her, trying to get her, get all her stuff together to make sure she could continue. So that, that is what it's like right now. Thank you so kindly for asking, Breach. I, I mean, it, it touches me. Thank you so kindly. Thank you so kindly for a asking. All right, folks, uh, the show is GOP, oh, I gave you that already. We discussed why abstraction is the root cause of good people doing bad things with a clear conscience. We discussed the GOP cult and more. Um, you know, folks, it's easy to hate. When somebody does something bad to you or otherwise, it is so damn easy to hate. But you know what is so funny? Or not funny, it's so sad. It is also so corrosive. It is so much better for one's health to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I'm not talking about forgiving or anything like that. Because I don't believe I have the authority to forgive anybody. I don't believe I have the... It's not in my power to do that, really. But I can understand that we're all humans and we make mistakes. I can understand that we all can be indoctrinated, but we'll go into that when we start talking about abstraction. So let's go ahead and get the program started with the first video. Karen Finney yesterday really uh, had a piece that I liked. So let me go ahead and play her, then we'll continue on the other side. 
Well, today, you know, I had to do my duty. Sunday, I had to get to all those morning uh, news shows, and I got to most of them. And, you know, I listened to them. They were all the same, talking about the insurrection, and all had the same point of views, but not going very much in detail uh, on a whole lot of stuff. But, I mean, there's one person that touched me this week on this, this Sunday, and I think it's the way that she interpreted all that went on and how she pushed back. I want you to listen to Karen Finney, and then let's take it on the other side. I have faith and confidence in Democrats. And look, if Republicans are sincere, we've heard a lot of attempts to try to minimize the violence at the Capitol, to try to sweep it under the rug and call for moving forward. If Republicans are sincere about that, they will support the, 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 pre, the president-elect, soon-to-be President Biden. And they will, in good faith, uh, we may have policy differences. They will vote for his cabinet appointees. They will not try to use the impeachment as a way to slow down the progress of moving forward forward with this agenda. And look, I think it's incumbent on Democrats to also, as we now know in this modern media environment, to do a better job of communicating who we are, what we stand for, and what we're fighting for in terms of the things that are in uh, the package that Biden has put forward. Sure. Anybody who is opposing that, again, a majority of Americans voted for Joe Biden. These are all the ideas that he campaigned on. So if you're opposing that, you're opposing the moving forward of of this country. I do want to correct one thing. What happened in Georgia was the hard work of many incredible people, including black women like Stacey Abrams and black voters. It was not just because of Donald Trump's ridiculousness. It was because people came out and voted and because of changes. I mean, what happened in Georgia reflects changes that are happening in this country that are going to continue. And I will go back to my core message here, which is there cannot be unity in this country without accountability. And that is part of how we move yes. forward. That is part of how Chuck Schumer is going to have to lead the Senate in terms of holding people accountable if they don't vote to support these policies. The larger test of this moment in history is not just about convicting Donald Trump. It is about accountability and understanding the divisions in this country and figuring out how we unify and heal and move forward and acknowledging that these divisions have been exploited by Trump, but they exist. This is who we are. It's not who we have to be. I mean, Karen was perfect Karen covered so much material in the short amount of time they gave her, and many times she had to fight to get her time in. Let's end with the, 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 how she ended. We, that, what we are seeing about America is who we are. And what she's admonishing, she's going out there and saying, we do not have to be that America that's out there. That's a challenge that she comes out with, that she puts out there. It is so true. But there are other things that she did in this, this segment that she was able to talk. She got rid of the false narrative that the reason that these two candidates, the two Democratic candidates, one in Georgia, had so much to do with Donald Trump and his shenanigans, as opposed to the hard work, the building that Stacey Abrams and many other people were out there working hard to bring these people into the fold. Those people worked. They would have won whether Donald Trump misbehaved or not. Look at the numbers. And then she also pointed out, she admonished Democrats. Hey, guys, make sure when you go out there, you fight for the things we believe in. You don't allow them to cart them into different types of... Don't allow them to 
to liberalize them or, or use stereotypes on them. Go out there and sell what you represent because what you represent is what the vast majority of Americans voted for. It's what the vast majority of Americans want. And then she admonishes the Republicans and saying, hey, you really want to work together? You really want to have contrition for what your party did by trying to overthrow a government, by trying to effect a coup when your leader tried to effect a coup? If you really want to do something. Then while we're working on impeachment, do not delay what most Americans have already said they wanted. Do not delay the progress that Joe Biden is going to be making with policies to help all Americans. If you want to do what's right, you do what's right by making sure policies of the person who won the most votes, not by a little, by a lot, work. Karen Finney, that was an excellent piece, and more Democrats, more progressives need to get on TV and tell the message in this short amount of time. We usually have to do it. Absolutely so. Now, Anan Hidat Haradas, he was on uh, Lawrence recently. And for all of you who saw the insurrection, and for all of us who felt, oh my God, where is the country going, or... For all of you who think we're sliding back, for all of you who think all these things, uh, he has a perspective that I think we ought to listen to. So let's go ahead and do that, and then we'll come back on the other side. Are you feeling badly about the insurrection, about this unpatriotic, seditious insurrection? We should. But you know, out of bad can come a whole lot of good. And somebody expressed it in a manner I hadn't heard before. And, you know, I want you to listen to that and then let's go ahead and take it on the other side. Check this out. Anand Girdadas writes, This is not the chaos of the beginning of something. This is the chaos of the end of something. It's not the engine of history. It's the revolt against the engine of history. We are living through a revolt against the future. The future will prevail. And joining us now is Anand Girdadas, MSNBC political analyst and publisher of the Inc. newsletter. Anand, what are the signs that the future will prevail? Well, the trajectory, this is Martin Luther King's birthday, and he spoke of that arc bending. And the arc is bending, has been bending, has continued to bend, and it's very easy to lose sight of that fundamental through line and that fundamental narrative in American life, given what has happened, right? I mean, we have last week was insurrection week, this week was impeachment week, next week's inauguration week, we never got infrastructure week. And it's dark, it's very, very dark. But I think if you look at so much of this darkness, it is not the darkness of the beginning of something. This is not a launch party that you're seeing on the other side of the screen. This is a funeral for something. It is a funeral for white supremacy. It is a funeral for a kind of outdated, outmoded male power. It is a, a mourning um, for a time in which certain Americans could feel and claim to be the default of an American and not have to share. And what we have witnessed in this era, alongside the depredations of Donald Trump, is another story, too, a, a longer story. This was also 
this past year that just ended, the year of extraordinary protests on the street for Black Lives Matter that also corresponded with extraordinary shifts in mainstream white opinion about racism. This was also the year gone by in which white people were in the reading they were doing and what was happening in their workplaces and beyond, grappling with race in ways that were unthinkable 5, 10, 15 years ago. And so I have been trying as a practice, because I'm as despairing as everybody else right now, to remember that what we are witnessing in so many of these dark days is backlash, backlash. It's not the engine of history. It's a backlash against the engine of history. These people that you're seeing are not the future. They are the barnacles on the future that is going to happen with or without them. And what I try to remember is that what we are actually heading towards, and allow me to get a little patriotic for a moment, but I think this is a patriotism that is factual and justified. We, what we are trying to do in the United States of America is actually build a kind of country that has not existed in quite this form, perhaps ever in history, which is to build a minor majority, minority, democratic, multiracial superpower that looks like the world, that is a country made of all the countries. And we're actually getting there. And these people are terrified of a future in which they have to share. But that future, day by day, hour by hour, workplace by workplace, school by school, that future, that looming future, is, I believe, the dominant story of America. He hits that on the nail, the dominant story of America. And when we think about it, right, these are, I don't know if you saw these people on the mall. Yes, they were living in their own reality. But the one thing you could see out of all of them, how scared they were. So what Donald Trump and his minions did is they filled a void. They filled that scary void that these people are feeling. Unjustly, they are feeling that. Uh, there's no reason for them to feel that somehow the country is getting away from them because they don't have that birthright that they never really had, but that someone told them maybe should have been theirs that someone else took. Never there. So I think Anand is absolutely right. But more importantly, we see that door that he sees now. We need to get over this hump. We need to make sure that we neutralize those that are starting this sort of a insurrection, if you will. And once we do that, we can actually get to the people. Like I said, we can get to the people, not to the fringe created by Donald Trump and his minions. We, okay, I hope you like that. Now, there's one other one that I want to show you now, and it is how... The GOP became a cult. And there's a little uh, piece that uh, Katie Turr did with both uh, uh, Kornacki and Ornstein that I think really laid it out pretty well. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. Are you feeling badly about the insurrection, about this unpatriotic, seditious? It is a false equivalence to assume that the reason why we cannot get compromise in Washington is because neither side wants to compromise. That's not true. 
The reality is we got a Republican Party that became a cult. And this isn't some left-wing progressive saying this. This is even said by people who are fairly moderate, fairly conservative. I want you to listen to this, and then let's take it on the other side. Newt very deliberately generated tribalism. It wasn't just a political polarization, different ideological viewpoints. It was trying to turn this into a situation where people could view Democrats as evil, trying to destroy their way of life, and really using uh, the, a process where he would shatter all of the norms of behavior that we had seen around Congress uh, to uh, achieve that goal. And it took him 16 years, but uh, he was able to do that. And, of course, he was helped along the way by a few other things. The end of the Fairness Doctrine in the uh, 1987 in uh, uh, the uh, Reagan administration made it possible for the rise of tribal media, which was uh, an accelerant of what Newt was doing. When uh, Tom Mann and I did a book in 2006 called The Broken Branch, and it was that Newt's successor, Dennis Hastert, accelerated the process of blowing up the norms that the ends justified the means with almost everything that happened. Then uh, Mitch McConnell uh, came in and decided that norms no longer mattered in the Senate. And all of this reinforced by changes in the broader society. And frankly, what Newt did was to move to turn the Republican Party away from a traditional political party looking to solve problems through the regular order in Congress and turned it into a cult uh, where uh, if you were a part of this process, the fear of being shunned or excommunicated would overwhelm your reluctance to violate more norms uh, and that working with Democrats was like sleeping with the enemy with the evil uh, apostates. And all of that has taken us let, to where we are today. Let me drill down on that language, because, Steve, I remember reading in your book about a memo that Gingrich sent around to Republicans, basically uh, outlining the language that they should use in describing their Democratic colleagues or Democratic opponents if they were running again for office. Explain that. Well, yeah, again, it's all about the language of, of drawing dramatic, vivid contrast that really tap into some, I think, some deep emotions. Um, I think that was the idea. You know, he, he talked about the, the big, broad contrast that Gingrich wanted to create between the parties was the Democrats as the party of a liberal welfare state, the Republicans as a party of a conservative opportunity society. Um, but it was the idea of using very dramatic, very uh, emotionally resonant language that would really drive home the contrast that Gingrich was trying to create between what he thought the Republican Party should represent to people and what he wanted people to see in the Democratic Party and just convincing uh, you know, his fellow Republican members of Congress that they needed to take every opportunity they had, every speech, every committee hearing, every appearance on television, whatever it was, to drive that contrast above all else. And that is what we're living through right now. And that is the reason compromise is next to impossible. In fact, what we got now is worse than even under Gingrich. We got an insurrection. We got a coup. We got a whole bunch of people who attempted to overthrow the government. A seditious act. So therefore, if we are to make progress under the Biden administration, we're going to have to soon move to eliminate the filibuster, 
so that we can show that show the people that government works, that government is really uh, an institution that can that not can but but that must provide a positive and will provide a positive if it if it functions without obstruction and therefore that is exactly what we have to do going forward eliminate the filibuster as you cannot have an institution where you have to attempt to have a compromise with a cult that's based not on human values not on morality, but on just what they want for a very select few of their constituents. Okay, let me go ahead and salute my peeps. Anyhow, we have Michael Rodden who says, Documentary exposes how the FBI tried to destroy MLK with wiretaps, blackmail, does the institutional memory of systemic racism persist today? Of course. And by the way, yeah, do, do, you know, we always know about Michael, about, not Michael, about what they did with uh, Martin Luther King. Now, U.S. defense officials fear insider attack on Biden inauguration. Will the right-wing bubble sow more chaos and make another desperate coup attempt? Less than two days to go in the Trump term. We're about to find out. The interesting thing about it is, I, wouldn't, I can't see them doing anything, and if they do, I think they're crazy because I don't know who would make them legitimate government. Most of the people don't support that. So whatever they do, the, the, the biggest risk they have is making Nancy Pelosi president. It's amazing. But that is what they could. If they did something crazy, Nancy Pelosi becomes the president. And you know what the left wing, I mean, what the right thinks about Nancy. Okay, Bridge, I saw a documentary on... That Michael Rudnan, not not sure if it's the same or older one. Let's continue. So anyhow, welcome Michael Rudnan, AVQ, Nanette Bird, Smith, Bridge MCP, Tank 28. Norman Reynolds says, remember an MLK speech in 1967, the three evils of society. And he gave us the link. Bridge says, good for her, strong young. Oh, about my daughter. Yes, she's a strong young woman. Uh, let's see, Nanette Bird, amazing woman. Thank you so kindly. Uh, let's see, Mark Smith, welcome aboard. Uh, who else is here? Linda E. Hi all. I hate it's like a cancer that eats away at you. Yes, hate is like a cancer that eats away. And, and it's hard. It's hard, especially in times like we have today, not to allow hate to take over. My contention, though, is that it's a lot more fruitful not to hate. And you actually get some results. And we're going to talk about we're going to talk about where we need to reserve our angst, for, not our angst, but our wrath for. Because what happens now is we're all hating the wrong, the, right, the wrong person. If you have a kid and your kid is indoctrinated into doing something that otherwise wouldn't do, you don't hate your kid, you try to help your kid. And there are a lot of people in this country right now that that is what they need. Help. Help. They may be fighting you. They may be dogging you. But what they really need is help. We're going to talk about that when we go into the, to the uh, part of the program talking about abstractions. Norman Reynolds says, thanks so much for the note. I hope others see it and equally add to the content. Exactly, she was right. Uh, Norman Reynolds, it was, oh, you're talking about Norman's article probably. Because, you know, Norman wrote an article at our website. Uh, let's say Michael Reynolds says, a funeral for white supremacy. I hope Anand Hirad Haradas is correct. I think he is. The thing about it is, it's usually not necessarily very easy to get across to the other side. Sometimes you have to fight fairly hard to get across the other side. 
Linda E says, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, let's see who else is here bringing in down. How do we get over the hump, Egberto? Linda, that's what we all are trying to do. Trial and error, trial and error. What works with your friends, what work with your family. You just have to, you have you just have to be able to, you know, I was talking to somebody on a on a chat. Not a, actually it was a Zoom. We had a Zoom for all the editors at uh, Op-Ed News. And one of the Zooms, I, 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 in the Zoom, I, I, I looked and I said, you have to be able, if you're going to make a, if you want to make a substantial difference, every, all of us can make a difference, but you can make a bigger difference if you can take it. And what I mean, and I was explaining to the other editors, is that if you can take them banging you, hitting, hitting you, cussing you, doing all these things, and not reply in kind. No, I'm not saying to be a fool. I'm not saying to be weak. I'm just saying it's like you're dealing with a sick person. If you can, if you can, if you're able to do that, in the long run, I think you become a lot more effective. So there are a lot of different ways and techniques. And by the way, I talk about some of them in my new book. I, uh, as I, I mean, uh, it's worth it. Uh, Michael Rennes said, QAnon will go down as a group of manic nutters who believe the absolute worst of their position, making them believe they could do anything to stop it. Uh, QAnon, you know, the, the worst part about QAnon is not even an ideology. QAnon is a money maker, something that simply uh, indoctrinate people to take all their money away from them. And, and you know, I, I, I hope eventually they see it. But the fact that they haven't seen that the right wing has been doing that more so than anyone else for all this time. I don't know. We are probably going to be with this for a very, very long time. Jenny, Jenny Wallace Seglins, welcome aboard. First time watching in real time. Been watching on the weekends. Thank you so kindly for watching, Jeannie. Thank you so kindly for watching. Norman says, uh, the insurrection and attempted uh, push in, uh, in 50 years in the making. We need to remember history. The leaders of the Republican Party and their enablers over the last 50 years need to be held accountable. Señor, estoy de acuerdo contigo. I'm definitely in, uh, agreed with you. All right. L look, before I go to the, what we want to talk about, let me just say real quickly... Please remember, folks, this is a show that requires your support. We would love your support. Please go ahead and click the Join button to become a member of our what again? Let's see if she's going to put it up before I say it. It's a certain kind of a posse. It's a certain kind of a posse. It's called the PDR Posse, named by whom? Bridge MCP. So if you are so kind to help us do the movement, PDR Posse join. There you go. Please click the join button and become a part of our PDR Posse or give us a super chat if you will. If you are not currently on YouTube, you can still become a part of the PDR Posse by going directly to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. And I'm sticking that in there now, politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. You can also become a patron of ours, politicsdoneright.com slash patron. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Some say, Egberto, why are you spelling it out? Because we also... This is also played on podcasts. Uh, so therefore, uh, meaning only audio podcasts. So politicsdoneright.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon. And uh, of course, we, we, we accept PayPal. So you can also support us via PayPal by going to politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal. Alternatively, or in addition to, please consider getting my book. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. It really works some of the times. Notice I say some of the times because as everybody who listens to this show know that there are quite a few people that are very, very, very 
confused. So uh, please consider getting it. it. I gave you the link for Amazon, but if you want to cut out the middle person, you can go directly to our store and get it. That is politicsdoneright.com slash store. politicsdoneright.com slash store. Thank you for saying that, Bridge. Go for it. Join us. Jo- click the join button. Becomes a part of our posse. We need thousands. I need an editor. I need a clipper. I need a producer. Right now, it's all on me. And that's 16 hours plus a day. I would love to get some help, help with my sanity, help with all this other work that we do. But you know what? The good thing about this is we are doing something positive for society. And all our listeners, uh, whether you're or, or, or paid subscribers or not, share in. And, and listening and making a change, we are all making a difference. So I thank you for being here from the depths of my heart. Okay, let's get busy. Uh, I want to I tell you what I wrote recently, okay? Uh, <laughs> you can't help with my sanity. <laughs> thank you, Bridge. I'm going to try to keep my sanity, Bridge. I'm going to try to keep my sanity, my... Beautiful bridge. Okay, here we go. The title of the show. or You know, I said, Why Good People Do Evil Things with a Clear Conscience. Abstraction Explained. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to start by reading out what I wrote in the, in the blog for this thing. And then I'm going to go into the different subjects at hand that I want to talk about. I said the following. We are living in a society uh, that was basically defined... By a few people. What I have realized is that many of its failures are based on abstraction. Okay? When I worked for NASA, we were tasked to develop software that had to work on PCs, Apollos, meaning IBM PCs, Apollos, and Macs. These are two or rather three different brands of computers, different operating systems, different everything. But the applications that run on them had to be the same. So we, in order to make this stuff easier for programmers and so that you can have one software base, we create these things called application programming interfaces. What this does is it allows all these guys that are programming on these different platforms to program to one thing. One thing. So what we did is we gave them an interface that they could talk through. Now here's the kicker. Uh, th- to them, everything looked the same. It, it didn't matter what machine they were on. They just said, if they wanted to open a file, it's an open file. If they wanted to uh, send a message to a computer uh, named Alpha, even whether that computer is a Mac, a PC, or whatever, they just say, send message, or open this, or get this. Okay? That's what happens. That's all they know. But below that, that thing which I had to design, there is each of those computers work differently. Yes, we were using TCP IP to go between these computers, but each interface to this stuff was very different. So we had to take that input that looks the same from everybody, and depending on what computer it was, we go ahead and massage the data. And here we may have to destroy a piece of the code and put, you know, it was, it was chaos behind the scene. It was chaos that the person on top never saw. The magic was abstraction. We made life easy. We made life seem simple to the person on top. Okay? 
But underneath, there's a lot happening that nobody but those real hardcore programmers knew about. And it wasn't pretty. The magic word here is abstraction. It is a great thing for those who only need to worry about interfacing to an abstract layer. They do not need to be concerned about the intricacies, the complications, the nastiness of what made it happen. Now, here's the deal. Why did I go into that narrative? Why am I telling you this? How does that even apply to politics, to those people that we think are all confused? I told my daughter that most people, the vast majority of people are good. Most of us are wired to be good. We are humans. Unfortunately, externalities and things that abstract bad things allow some to do bad even with a, with a clear conscience. And I'm going to give some examples as far as what I mean, but let me just go here. Uh, in the aggregate capitalism, health insurance, all these things are abstractions. Let me give an example. Uh, when, if, you're, if, if you're working in our economy, you go to work every day. Let's say you work for an oil company, and we'll, uh, you, we always like to beat up on the oil company, so let's continue. You work for an oil company, and you go to work. You're an engineer. You talk about cracking the rocks to get extract the hydrocarbon at certain levels, etc. That's all that you know. You know that if you put an explosive in a cased hole in a, in a strata where there is hydrocarbon, you blow the holes in that area and oil falls in and you, co you collect the oil, you bring it to wherever, from wherever you're collecting the oil, you bring it to the United States, it's processed, it turns into gas, it turns into all these other good things. And everybody is happy. You do your work every day. The secretary comes in, the engineers come in, everybody do their work, and that's all they, that's all they know they do. Okay? But where is this oil, where is this drilling occurring? This drilling, let's, let's, let's just go ahead and say, this drilling occurs in Nigeria. I'm just going to give that as an example. I'm, this is theoretical here, Nigeria. Okay? It is on land that is owned by somebody else that didn't want their land drilled. And, somebody, and this corporation goes in and forces them off, kill off their families, and they went ahead and drilled Anyway, using the technology from that engineer who knows that he's going to case the hole, blow holes in the case to bring the oil in, and all he knows is he's given the technology to go ahead and do these things. To that engineer, he has done nothing wrong because he has personally done nothing wrong. What's hidden from him is for his company to find places to use his technology to bring oil into that company, a lot of atrocities had to occur. Buka buka, mucho, mucho, mucho. A lot of atrocities had to occur. The, he is oblivious to that. So now, he goes and he travels to Nigeria. And Boko Haram goes ahead and kidnaps him and they have their grievances. 
American imperialist country and they're bad people and all of that. And he's sitting down there saying, but I'm not bad. I am not bad. I'm a good guy. All I do is drill. And that is where the abstraction comes in. He had no vision of the entire chain of command. His high salary is dependent on the continued flow of that oil, irrespective of whether it comes from atrocities or not. As far as he's concerned, he's making a legitimate wave, wage, and he's blind from all the things that go into finding places to use his technology to drill and continue affording him a great salary. So a lot of bad is done because uh, of the use of his to use his technology to pay him. But hey, uh, it's abstracted from you. Same with insurance companies, right? Uh, or or let, let's back up from it. Same with anything with the, under the, the capitalist mantra. Let's let's go ahead with the vaccine because this is so important. This is real, and this is happening in real time. Uh, so. We had the vaccines that were developed rather quickly, very quickly. But what happened? We know how to build it. Factories were built, and we know how to build the factories quickly. We have a capitalist society, an abstracting society. How is it abstracting? Well, in order, we need a whole lot of vaccine quickly, and we could have a whole lot of vaccine quickly if we went on a if we went ahead and built those factories right now or actually three months ago we built those factories but what was our limiting factor our limiting factor was well who's going to invest the capital after this vaccine thing is uh, is done we won't be able to depreciate that capital to recover the monies that all these kinds of crazy things come in Whenever you are able to make believe like the limiting factor, make the limiting factor something that not it that isn't, okay? Because we have the wherewithal right now to build everything, but our economic system is the limiting factor. But here's the funny thing: we have examples to prove in real time that. Economies that afford themselves the ability to just move on a dime work. Let's look at China. China is not a China goes ahead and 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 I want to back up a second because remember several times I've told you guys that democracy and capitalism has nothing to do with each other, nothing to do with each other. Okay, they are nothing to do with each other. What happened in in uh in where's where did this thing come the the Unan virus? That's what they like to call it. They cleaned, it's, it supposedly started in Hunan province, and now it has been eradicated from that province. Why is that again? When it came to having to develop the technology to solve the problem, they did it. These were guys building hospitals in 30 days. Can the United States do that? Of course they can. China does not have any technology that the United States doesn't have. What China has is the ability to say, we have to solve this problem for our people, and you can you know, and, and go ahead and get it done. 
over here, we say we have to solve the problem for our people, but how will it affect our plutocracy? How will it affect the capital flows? How will it affect how money goes around? So we put, we pa whenever we have to do anything, we first ask, how is it going to affect business? We don't care about people first. All these people that are dying, when they needed, res uh, uh, not respirator, respira respirators, when they needed those, what happened? We had contracts to build them, but again, we needed to make some money. So they went ahead and forgot candy contracts that we had to make thousands of these uh, respirators and went ahead and created new plans, delayed, people died. 400,000 Americans are dead. Actually, it's way more than that. We, that's what we have counted. It's way more than that if we, we, we calculate all the people that died at home, etc. Now, a lot of people like to say, but we can't afford it. Um, the only way you can't afford something if, if, if you don't have the means of production to create it. That's the only way. If there are people out of a job, if there's work to do, if there's a job to complete, and you say you can't afford it, it's not that you can't afford it. It's that you have the wrong economic... It's that your economic system is designed wrong. You have a wrongly designed economic system. And we forever have had a long, a, a badly designed system. So I want to bring it back into abstraction and people doing wrong. Because it, it, it always ultimately turned into an economic argument. Let's look at those people at the Capitol. Uh, do you think all those people at the Capitol were bad? No, they were not. Do you think most of those people at the Capitol were bad? No, they were not. And with that, I want to bring up, there's one person that, and anytime I talk about her, right, um, I kind of feel bad about it. And it's um, Ashley, what's her name? Here, here's her picture. Ashley, that she got killed. She was going to march into the Capitol. Uh, she's an ex-military. Uh, ex she's going to march into the Capitol, Ashley Babbitt. And she was killed. By gunshot. And you can't accuse a cop for not doing what his job was because she was coming to invade the Capitol. But she came on false, a false premise because of abstraction. Look, this she was an Obama voter. Ashley Babbitt voted for President Obama. She believed in hope and change. She has a pool company. In the process of having a pool company and having the, the, the shutdown and all these kinds of things, her, she, her pool company went south. She got a loan. Interest rate, 160-something percent in California. This woman is desperate. We have a Donald Trump that is telling desperate people, people that thought they had a birthright they really never had, but they wish they did. We have a Donald Trump telling these people, including this woman, I have the answers for you, and the people that are, that are not serving you are those people in Congress, are those damn liberals, are those, those damn Democrats. And you're in a democratic state in California. You're in, you, are, you are living this 
life in liberal land. It is not at all hard for you to, because everything is abstracted, because you can't see where things go. It is not hard for you to think, well, my God, if I'm in California, I am having it this hard as a small businesswoman. Let me listen to what this charlatan has to say, which is what she did. And we will have to say she turned bad. How did she turn bad? Well, she was convinced with all the narratives that were coming to her and instantiating it with her own reality of her business cratering that the fault was somebody else. Little did she know that she attacked the wrong house. Because much of what she wants was not approved by the party she represents. Remember, much of what we talk about, all these small businesses that are asked to close, all these small businesses that cannot exist because of a pandemic that's no, reason, that's no fault of their own, we've stated that our, the type of policies that real progressives support says, don't you worry, stay put, we'll pay those bills until we bring until we eradicate the virus. That's what we want. That is what we want. You are supporting, because of abstraction again, not knowing what's happening behind the scenes, you are, again, abstraction means this. You are, you're talking to this interface, but a lot of other stuff is happening behind here. Progressives are behind here trying to fight for something good. Republicans are behind here trying to take away, and this is not, this is not party, partisan. This is just how it is. They don't want to give you a, a stipend while you're not, while the virus is going through, uh, the, the pandemic is going. They didn't want to give you the $2,000. They didn't want to give you the $600. They didn't want to give you the $1,200. The party and the people who wanted to do that are the people that you were going to attack. And it's because of that abstractive layer. Because you can't see what's happening behind. You only see what's in front. And you know who's better at giving you their API? You know who's better at telling you what you want to hear? The other side. And Democrats, many Democrats that is, they are very poor communicators. And I think some of it is by design. Because they're serving the same masters in California. You should never have been able to get a loan for 169% in a state controlled by Democrats. You should never have been, they should never have allowed laws to be written where you can be charged 169% interest rate, which you could never possibly afford. Abstraction. This is how good people turn bad. Again, now, many are going to say, well, why didn't you get your information from good sources and, and still vote for those people who would give you a better deal? You can't see it. Many don't see that. They're, they're, they've gone into the, rapid, the rat trap, and it's hard to get out of it. So my contention is as follows. If you understand abstraction, if you understand how capitalism, how healthcare, how all these particular things are just abstracted. 
it makes you more forgiven of even those that, as many of you are saying on the screen, you know, can you even get into their minds? Not immediately, you can't. You can't. The most you can do right now is listen and ask them what would they want for a solution. And after they give you your, their solution, which is going to be pretty damn similar to what you want or what, you're, what progressives are selling, then and only then can you say, this is what happens here and this is what happens here. In other words, you can't go in and tell them. You have to ask them what they want. You know what? I was, I was watching all the, the, the commotion there and, and there was one interesting thing, even with the reporters, right? The reporters were having these guys shout. And I rarely heard a reporter say, exactly what is it that you want specifically this Congress to do for you? What do you want them to provide you? You can, you know, you, you, you calm things down and you ask the questions. And I explain a lot of that in my book as well. What do you want? And it's a way that I've... When, when, we did the, when we do our live show where people call in at KPFT, it's the thing that we do all the time. What is it that you want? And after we hear what you want, we can then show you these are the people that are trying to provide that and these are the ones that are, that are saying no. And the reason they're saying no is we don't have the votes. Therefore, will you help? And believe it or not, that has worked so many times for me. So many times. Abstraction. Abstraction. Because we can abstract so much. And because very few progressives, Democrats, are able to counteract the abstraction, the, 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 the beating of the abstraction layer that Republicans do, it actually creates the, the kind of situation that we're in right now. Um, I think it is important, again, I think it is important when you look at all these features, not to look at those guys as the enemy. Modern monetary theory is real. And it's what we need to do. And believe it or not, that is what we're doing right now. We're just not calling it modern monetary theory right now. But if you notice how we've expanded the money supply and how we've done it, in effect, that's what we're doing, Bridge MCP. But they dare not call it that because it, it goes ahead against everything that Milton Friedman talks about. And that's why you won't hear nobody call it modern monetary theory. But we are implementing a form of modern monetary theory right now. Uh, so... Um, question: If anybody have any specific questions, feel free to give us a call. I have the telephone number on the on the line on the screen, and uh, you know there are certain there are times it is easier when somebody asks a specific question to give a specific answer. Here is the call in if anybody wants it with the code to get in. But let me go through the list. It seems like you guys have been writing down this zoo. Let me see. Well, now we have insurrection answered my own question. Let's see. That blog is a bit deep, made me think. I'm glad it made you think, but you always think, Bridge MCP. AVQ says, keeping up with Biden will do over his first 100 days, making sure uh, he keeps his campaign promises. We will do that. will be paramount. Egberto and I will probably be busier than usual. That is the reason why exactly, uh, AVQ, exactly. We are not going to stop 
uh, we have to keep the pressure on. One of the biggest problems during the Obama administration is that we got Obama into office and then we went home. Obama needed pressure. He got pressure all right. He just got pressure from the wrong people. That's all. But he got pressure. Okay, abstraction, isolating a common relationship, observed, pulling out information. Oh, you're, you must be, a, you must be a, a programmer. You must be a software engineer. All right, I'm going to share that in an hour. All right, I, I don't know what you're talking about. But, uh, Michael Rudnan, let me know. Like with blinders on, they just do the job. Okay, John Perkins. Money, money, money from Bridge. Let's see what else we have here. Capitalism versus communism. You know, it, it is funny because a, a little bit of everything is always good, right? I, I believe in a strong social safety net and free enterprise. And there, there are parts of our society I think needs to be nationalized, okay? So here's, if anybody wants to know what my economy would look like, my economy would look like the following. You own your pizza shop, you own your, your, your hair shop, you own your stores that you sell dresses, you own all these retail stores, all of that stuff privately owned. Utilities, not privately owned. I don't want water, electricity, and oil privately owned. Why? Because those have become necessities for life, and, and, be, and, and as such, capital, under the capitalist model, uh, 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 the profit and loss model, that is how they'll continue to pilfer the middle class. Because they'll continue to force what it, it, it is. It is a term called whatever the market will bear. So they have the opportunity to charge you at will whatever they want to charge you because their fiduciary responsibility is not to you, but to their shareholder and the corporate executive's bonuses. So I am for having all these stores Everybody can own, buy, sell, private, anything you want to do. But for utilities, they should not be corporate control. Meaning utilities, uh, gas, etc., that, that kind of stuff, electricity, none of that should be corporate control. Why should it be? Those are necessities. Communications, no. People say, well, that's going to kill innovation. No, it won't. Uh, the funny thing about it is, we have two polar opposites, Russia and we have the United States. You know, Russia went ahead of the United States at times, and the United States went ahead of Russia, technologically speaking, we're talking about. They put, they put Sputnik in space before we did, and they were transmitting from space before we were. We did other things faster than they did. It's not about capitalism at all. It's not about that at all. You see, it's funny because a lot of people think, well, you, you, you'll stifle innovation. Innovation does not come from capitalism. Innovation comes from engineers who just, and scientists who just love it. And they want to create something. And then the capitalist takes that creation and monetizes it. Don't let them fool you. That is where we talk about abstraction again. Oh, if, if, if we take away capitalism out of the water industry, then it's going to go to hell. Really? Why? Why? In the water industry, the only reason you have efficiency is to take more money to give to the shareholders. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. Efficiency isn't inherent to capitalism. Efficiency is inherent to wanting to take more of the money to give to the shareholder. We can afford to have 20% inefficiency for the same product without a shareholder. And you know where that inefficiency goes? 
that inefficiency is really money that is spent back into the economy. So people are like, oh, inefficiency is bad. No, inefficiency for poor folk is good. Inefficiency for shareholders is bad. That's, another, that's for another day. But remember what I just said there. Inefficiency. Oh, wow, I've talked a lot. Uh, inefficiency for the poor folks. But let me go back, go to the bottom. See, Linda E., that's what they taught us in civics. Some things were government control, post office, utilities, and get this telephone. Exactly. So we need to get back. Robustness is better than efficiency. Absolutely so. People get one or two choices, which are either price fixed or gouged. True. Essential services are usually offered as a duopoly or regional monopoly. Exactly. Uh, cousin in Netherlands. Let's see. Uh, bridge. Okay, let me see before I go if I have anybody else to salute. Linda E., I think I saluted you. Wendy Green from Denmark. Welcome aboard. Uh, let's see. Macaron, I got you. Who else do I need to get? I think I got everybody so far. Anyhow, folks, um, we got to get out of here. I want to thank you so kindly. I want to thank you so kindly for being here. I want you to spread the word. There's a lot of misinformation that goes on. Uh, there's ma- there are many times that we hate on people unnecessarily. I think we need to have more compassion for people, more compassion of how easy it is for somebody to confuse people, especially when they're going through hard times. And a lot of Americans are going through hard times right now. Let's have some compassion. Let's do a lot of listening and asking questions. And what you're going to find out is the questions these people ask are the answers that you're going to provide them. Why aren't the politicians doing this? I would like them to do X, Y, Z. Most of the answers you're going to give them is going to say, did you know that that what you want is in, in you see when you got when you maligned the Green New Deal, that particular thing you're asking for was in the Green New Deal. Yeah, but it has a lot of other stuff. What other stuff do you think it have? It has. And then they don't know exactly. Say, okay, let's let's itemize. And then you, you have a, a conversation of respect. First you get them to like you because you're not putting them down. But you're asking them what is it that they want. And then you start telling them. Uh, well, this, this is actually here already. We were just waiting to get it passed. It's a different way of communication. It's first not being condescending to them when you're face-to-face talking to them or when you're Zoom-to-Zoom or when you're email-to-email or whatever. Because that is the only way we're going to get our problems solved. We are not going to solve our problems simply fighting these people. It's beyond that. We're only going to solve the problems when, we, when they are a part of us. My name is Egberto Willies. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Oh! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.